Father's Day. And we say Happy Father's Day. Even though for some people it's not a happy day. You know, Father's Day is a lot like Mother's Day in that for some people it's a tough day. Maybe it's the first year your father's not with you. Uh, Maybe you didn't grow up in a family that had a healthy father-child relationship. Uh, There's a lot of reasons that this can be a difficult day. And and so if you're going through difficulties, our prayers are with you. Uh, God blessed me, though, with two sons. Uh, June and I have been so blessed in our lives. and, And they haven't called yet but I'm expecting a phone call any moment, so if I pause in the middle of the sermon to take a phone call, you know what's going on. You know, it's Father's Day. What a, what a special day. It was a special day for Jesus as well. Not, of course, the American holiday. But, but Jesus experienced something unique in the Incarnation. And so today, instead of looking at Jesus encountering someone else who became one of his disciples, I want us to look at how Jesus encountered, of all people, his father. And I'm not talking about his adoptive father, Joseph. I'm talking about his biological. I don't understand how the incarnation took place, but I know that it did. And I want us to look at his relationship with his biological father. You know, Psalm 2 is a fascinating psalm. Psalm 2, in many ways, is the first of the psalms. Psalm 1 is an introductory psalm. Uh, Y'all remember when we used to sing out of songbooks? Anybody remember those days? I remember how that we used to have songbooks, and and a song would come out that the the publisher of the book didn't get the copyright to, and and so we would make copies, and and we'd paste them inside the front cover of the book. Y'all remember those days? I still remember when, God, when, when how great their art was pasted inside the front cover of our songbook. And, and in many ways, that's Psalm 1. It's kind of, you know, the beginning before the beginning. But Psalm 2 is a, a Davidic psalm. It's a psalm that expresses David's relationship with God, but it becomes this messianic psalm because it looks down through the Davidic covenant where God basically says, David, there will come a son from your line who will truly be with my son, who I'll declare he is my son, and how that on that day I became his father. And if you turn over to the New Testament, you'll see this particular passage quoted quite frequently. Now what's fascinating about this whole concept is it takes us down a pathway in regards to God that kind of is quite challenging. You know, when you turn in the Bible, you have these words for God. Old Testament, Elohim. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, Elohim. You turn to the New Testament, and you have the word Theos. And and these are just your generic words for God. But we worship God as Trinity. And one of the things we find in Scripture is also this Trinitarian nomenclature about God. For instance, the Father in the Old Testament is probably most likely the one we call Yahweh. Old translations used to say Jehovah, but more likely it was pronounced Yahweh. And so we have Yahweh, and then of course you get to the New Testament, and Yahweh becomes Father. We'll talk about that more in a minute. John says in the beginning was the Word, the Logos. 
you have this concept of the second member of the Godhead being somehow this word of God, this communication of God, who becomes the son. And of course, we know him as Yeshua, Yahweh saves, or more appropriately in English, Jesus. And then the third member of the Godhead, the Ruach, Old Testament, the Numa, New Testament. We know him as the Holy Spirit. And all three of these come into the process of the incarnation of where this second member of the Godhead somehow becomes the son of the first member of the Godhead. You turn over to the synoptics. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, They're called synoptics because they're so similar to one another. Uh, A lot of people, and I'm among them, believe that Mark was Peter's gospel written first. It becomes kind of the pattern for Matthew who expands it for Jews. Luke takes it and, and, and expands it for Gentiles. But, but however Matthew, Mark, Luke came about through the work of the Spirit, they depict Jesus as the Son of God. That's their focus. You see it right off the bat. Luke chapter 1, 35. You have Gabriel coming to Mary, informing her that she's going to be with child. She goes, how is that possible? I'm still a virgin. And you see the response. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High, Yahweh, will overshadow you. And somehow in that process, you will become with child. Who will be called, notice there, the Son of God. You get the same thing when you go a couple of, uh, or another chapter over where you have Jesus as he's 12 years old. He's going to Jerusalem for Passover. He stays behind. His parents, of course, worried. They finally find him. And when they said, you know, what are you doing? His response is, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Often thought how Joseph took that. I mean, he had been a father to him now for 12 years, and yet somehow Jesus is already beginning to understand there's a special relationship between him and the Godhead itself. And then I love this text. If there's any text in the synoptics that describe the relationship of God the Father with Jesus the Son, it's when he was baptized. And you see here that everybody's coming to John to be baptized. And Jesus comes. And what's fascinating is, is that Luke tells us that while he's being baptized, he's praying. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I mean, imagine Jesus in the Jordan River, fixing to be immersed. And as he's standing there, and John's fixing to lure him back, he prays. We don't know what he prayed. Wouldn't you like to know what he prayed? Wouldn't you like to know what he was saying to the Father as he goes into the water? As he goes under the water and then as as John lifts him up, what in the world was he saying to the Father? But what we do know is what the Father said to him. Because the Father then speaks. And notice what he says. First, he says, you're my son. You're my son. And all of you fathers who are here... You know what it's like if you're a father the first time to hold that daughter and to look at her and say, you're my daughter. You know, June and I wanted a little girl. God gave us two little boys. And so when my boys got old enough to have children, I said, I want a granddaughter. And after three grandsons, they said to us, if you want a granddaughter, you need to adopt another kid. 
And so I don't guess June and I will ever get to know what it's like to say you're my daughter, you're my granddaughter, but many of you have. Or you're my son, I still remember that. And the look of a father the first time he holds his daughter or his son. And, and, and you know, this is mine. It reminds us of a passage, Isaiah 43. And, and if you've watched the first episode of The Chosen, boy, this plays a huge role in, in that particular dramatization of Jesus. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear. Why? Because I've redeemed you. But then look at the last part. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. I want to be someone's. And here's God the Father saying to Jesus, You're mine. You belong to me. He goes on next. And of course, this is that son and daughter motif. He goes on next and he says, And by the way, I love you. Some of the most precious words in all of Scripture. You know, some of us grew up in families where we didn't say that. I did. I grew up in a non-I love you family. Uh, to my knowledge, I never remember my dad saying I love you. Now, did he? Absolutely. Man, my dad would have done anything in the world for me. I knew he loved me. But because he grew up in a family that didn't say it, he didn't say it. And so when June and I got married, I told June, I said, I'm not going to do that. And so my boys have heard it so much, I'm pretty sure they're like, we know, you know, you love us. You know, we don't hang up the phone, we don't leave seeing each other, that we don't say, I love you. And there's something so powerful in those words, and I know some people don't like that. I mean, it makes them uncomfortable. I had a brother one time, after I'd preached on this, he said to me, would you quit preaching on that gushy stuff called love? And I said, what's the problem you have with it? And here's what he said to me verbally out in the foyer of the church. He said, I think if you have to say I love you, it means that you don't. Boy, he shouldn't have said that to me. Because I turned straight to this text right here and I said, so you're telling me that God really didn't love Jesus. And he looked at me and he said, "Uh, except God. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, except God. And then notice the last thing. And with you, I'm well pleased. Wouldn't you agree with me that those are the three things that all of us want to hear from our parents? You're mine. I love you. And I'm proud of you. And those are incredible words. And you see the Father saying to the creator of the universe, the Son, who who was God, equal to God, Paul says. And somehow he says to him, you're mine, I love you, and I'm proud of you. And you turn over just a few chapters later in Matthew's gospel, and on the Mount of Transfiguration, guess what? He does it all over again. I mean, it's as if he knew that Jesus needed to hear it again. We don't know how many times. Oftentimes the Bible says Jesus would go out to private places, and he would... Uh, pray to God and commune with God. We don't know how many times he heard those words, but we know that it was enough that it formed who he was. And if I could say anything to the fathers who are here today, if you've not said these words to your son, to your daughter, don't wait as long as my dad did. Not that I know, I know he did. I know all three of those things my dad did. I just would have liked to have heard them.
But it's John's gospel that is most fascinating. You see, when you, when you come to John's gospel, it's not... I mean, it is that Jesus is the Son of God, but more than that, John tries to show us the fact that God now becomes the Father of both Jesus and us as well. And one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that if you go back to the Old Testament, God is not called Father. That's not how the Jewish people prayed. And that's one of the things I love about this series we're watching on Sunday nights, The Chosen, is that they've gone back and researched how Jews prayed in the first century. And you hear them referring to God as King, God as Creator, God as Lord. But you don't hear them referring to God as Father because that came from Jesus. Because Jesus, more than anything, wanted to invite us into a special relationship. John Micah talked about the table this morning. And and in so many ways, God is inviting us to his table as a member of his family. Notice John 1, yet to all who received him, that is Jesus, he gave them who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Not children born in a human, natural way, not by a father's will, but children who are born of God himself, which is why when you get over to John 3 and Nicodemus begins to talk to Jesus, he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must become part of the family of God. I hear people oftentimes talk about, well, you know, God is the father of everyone. No, he's not. I hate to burst your bubble. God is the God of everyone, not the Father of everyone. He is the Father of those who are born again, born into His family. Peter says, who take part in the divine nature. And it's that role that develops throughout the Gospel of John. You turn over to chapter 8, for instance, and you get a debate, and the debate of all things is about who your Father is. I mean, you think about that. We've all experienced that. I go back to Mississippi from time to time. And one of the things you'll find in the north-central part of Mississippi is there's a lot of Chapmans. My dad had right at somewhere between 95 and 100 first cousins. All right? I mean, I, I, I used to say, Dad, can you name them? He said, oh, no, no way possible. You know, he had just a tons. And so you go down there and there's a lot of Chapmans. And so when I go down and, and I tell someone, I'm, I'm Les Chapman, the first question is, son of whom? You know, who, who's your daddy? And basically, that's what's going on here in John chapter 8. Notice the language here. I'm telling you what I've seen in my father's presence. There, boy, that launches the debate. You're doing what you've heard from your father. And the Jews are like, wait a minute, excuse me? Abraham is our father. And Jesus fires back, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. Instead, you're trying to kill me. That makes them angry, and they fire back at Jesus. At least we're not illegitimate children. You see, they had done their research. Everybody knew that Mary and Joseph had to get married. And they assumed that it's because they had gotten pregnant out of wedlock. Of course, we all know, looking back, that's not the case at all. But let's just face it. I mean, if someone had told us in the first century that God did it, we would have called them blasphemers. You know, now we read it and we're just like, oh, of course God did it. Uh, 
I promise you, if any of our kids were to come in, any of our sons, and said there's a girl pregnant, but I didn't do it, God did it, we'd probably go, hmm, we've got to have a conversation. You know, let, let's just be honest. If we had heard that, we wouldn't have believed it either. And so they fired back. We're not illegitimate children. The only father we have. And so they moved from Abraham up to God himself. And Jesus responds again, but if you were children of God, if he were your father, you would love me because that's who I came from. And so he says, my father, whom you claim as your God, and you see this debate going back and forth, is the one who glorifies me. Do not hold on to me. John chapter 20 verse 17, as we continue this subject of who God is and whose father he is, you have Mary Magdalene. And and, and Mary, after the resurrection, encounters Jesus on that Sunday morning. Jesus says, Mary, calls her by name. Isn't that interesting, going back to Isaiah 41? Calls her by name. She reaches and grabs him. She's not going to let go of him. Jesus says, Do not hold on. You can't keep holding on to me, Mary. I've got to ascend back to my father. But you go to my brothers. And then Jesus says one of the most remarkable things in all of Scripture. We read it too fast. But no one prior to this had said this. I'm ascending to my father, who is now your father. The kingdom is breaking out. God's family is expanding. And by the way, he's my God and he's your God as well. And so what you end up with through John, the rest of John's gospel, is you end up with Jesus portraying God as this this perfect father. We sang a song about that a few moments ago. And Jesus as the ideal son. Now just out of curiosity, today's Father's Day, I can ask this question. How many of you in your family were the golden child? Any of y'all, will you confess that? Anybody confess that? We've got several over here. Some I know are lying. But, yeah. Yeah course we've got some who are going I was the only child so I qualify yeah you do I was the golden child I mean to my mother not not necessarily my dad dad never said that but mom treated me as the golden child but both my brother and sister says you know you were the golden child and I'm like yeah I know I mean it's so cool Jesus by the way was the golden child can you imagine growing up being either James Joseph Simon Judas or one of the sisters I mean, of course Jesus always makes the bed. Of course Jesus always helps wash the dishes. Of course Jesus makes sure everything is put up. Of course Jesus always does what he's supposed to do. I mean, I can see why they had a hard time believing in Jesus in the first century because they were so tired of hearing just how perfect Jesus was. And of course the answer is he was. He was the perfect son. The ideal son. Malachi we talk about what God was wanting from marriage. He's, he's condemning here in Malachi 2. He's condemning divorce. But as a part of condemning divorce, he says, the reason I hate divorce is because God is one and you belong to him in body and spirit. And notice the last two sentences up here. And what does the one God seek but godly offspring? Of all the reasons to have a child, probably most of us never thought about that. What's the God want? You know. And by the way, you know, if your wife's pregnant, you know, what do you want? Do you want a boy? Do you want a girl? What about the answer is, I want someone who's going to grow up godly. 
And, and so one of the things that's fascinating is that Jesus becomes kind of this ideal son of showing what it is that God's looking for in those of us who are children, which I think probably covers all of us. And so you have John chapter 5, and you see something of the ideal son. The father is always at his work to this very day, and I'm working too. And by the way, that verse right there is as important to us today as it was to Jesus back then. I mean, I don't know of anything more important than trying to figure out what God is doing in this world and becoming part of that project. I mean, that's what being a follower of Jesus is all about. We need to be busy doing the Father's work. Notice, He can do only what He sees His Father doing. That's one reason why I begin with, you know, are you in the Word? Are you learning about who God is? Do you see who He is? Do you see what He's doing? Are you trying to be like that? And then I love this last one, Father. Father loves the Son and shows Him all of the, all that He does. I mean, those of us who seek to be pleasing to God, to be His children, to do His work, God sees us and loves us. Why? Because we want to be about His business. I love Philip. This is John 14. This is the last night Jesus is with his disciples before the crucifixion. And Philip finally just says to Jesus, Listen, just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Did any of y'all do what I did as a kid? I wanted to know that there was a God so bad that I would lay in bed at night and I would ask God to do things to prove himself to me. I would. I mean, I'm like, God, just turn on the light and turn it back off. You know, and if somebody had the clapper back then, I would have been messed up. <laughs> you know. And, I, and I'm serious as a heart attack, y'all. I would say, God, if you're there, just cough. Just, I don't know why I thought God could cough. But just cough. I mean, I, I, I understand, Philip. Just show us the Father, and that will be enough. And look at the response. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been... Among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Have you ever seen someone's child and know immediately whose child it was? I mean, we all have. My younger brother has a son, and just let me tell you that at one point in their life, they could have passed as twins. I mean, I used to tell him all the time, you can never deny that you're the father of that boy. And and that's basically what's going on here is that when we're children of God, we need to reflect the fact that we look like our heavenly father. So children of God need to be busy knowing their father and being like their father. And then I love this one. The one who loves me will be loved by my father. Have you ever befriended someone's child only to realize that by befriending their child, you befriended the parent's? And that basically is what is being taught here. Is that when we love Jesus, God looks at us and loves us because we love His Son. That's why loving God is so important. That's why loving Jesus and falling in love with Him is so important. And and He says in John 14, He says, And when you do that, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. I mean that you begin to produce both inside and outside those God-like characteristics that proclaims to the world this is someone who loves God, loves Jesus, and is His child. Children of God need to be busy honoring their Father. If you keep my commandments, you'll remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remained in His love. 
You know, that was one thing growing up that was so important in my family is when Dad told you to do something, he expected you to do it. And, and I did. And people sometimes ask, why? Why were you such an obedient child? And there's just one answer to that question. I was scared of my dad. I mean, Dad, even when I got to be, I mean, Dad developed Alzheimer's in his early 60s. And, and I remember one time me and my brother were sitting there, and I'm now in my 40s, and Dad for some reason, decided to brag a little bit. And he looked at me and my brother and he said, I could still take either one of you. <laughs> and I looked over at my brother and winked. And he looked over at me and winked and said, you can't, no doubt about it. You know, we wanted to honor our father and do what he said. And it leads us to one of the most precious passages in all of Scripture, Romans 8, where basically you have Paul saying, can I tell you what happens when we're adopted into the family of God. Notice, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption. Sons and daughters in Christ. And then because of that, we can cry out to God, Abba. My mother lost her mother when she was nine years old. Her dad remarried when she was 16. And it was always fascinating to me that the rest of my mom's life, she referred to her stepmom as mother and to her real mom as mom. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, I just picked up on that immediately. Knew that all of my life. I mean, when, when mom said mother, she was talking about her stepmom. When she said mama, she was talking about her biological I understand that because, you see, my boys, when they call today, one of them, when he calls, will say, Hey, Pops, happy Father's Day. I don't know why my second son, at some point in time, decided I was Pops instead of Dad. But I've been Pops ever since, and now I'm Pops to my grandchildren. It's a special name. But my oldest son still calls me Dad. And so when he calls, he'll say, Hey, Dad, happy Father's Day. And by the way, they're the only two who have the right to call me that. And I'm honored when they do. We have the right to call God Abba. Most tenderest of words. Abba, Father. And Jesus made that possible. And today, you need to ask yourself on Father's Day, can you pray, Abba, Father? And if not, what are you waiting on? Be born again of watering the Spirit into His family. You can do that right now. As together we stand and sing.